What fresh hell is this? Mommy! Where are my damn glasses? Alicia, it's your mother. When you get a chance, give me a call, please. Thank you. Has anybody seen my phone? Mom! Mom! Honey! Oh, shit. I think something's burning in the kitchen. Where are my damn glasses? Mama! Alicia, I just hung up with producers. They loved your read. They said you owned the room. Great job, sweetheart. But they're going in another direction. Which direction? Away from you. Come on. Never mind. Oh, great. Found my glasses. Hello, I'm Alicia Coppola. I'm an actress an author of Gracefully Gone on Amazon, hard copy and Kindle, shameless plug. Wife, mother of three kids, chef, laundress, maid, vacuumer of copious amounts of dog hair. But who I really am is a bootstrap bitch. I have pulled myself up by my bootstraps more times than I can count. Like most of my guests that you'll hear from on this podcast, I haven't always had it easy. Everyone has a story. Some of my guests are famous. Some are just famous in their own homes. Some are getting through or have gotten through major life ordeals, and others are just trying to make it through Monday. All of their transformational journeys are inspiring, aspiring, and courageous. We who pull ourselves up by our bootstraps don't bitch. We do. Welcome to Bootstrap Bitch. My guest today truly embodies why I created Bootstrap Bitch. He's the perfect paradigm of pulling oneself up by the bootstraps. This October, he will celebrate his 23rd wedding anniversary to his lovely wife. He has two amazing daughters. He was a series regular for 14 years on Judging Amy and Psych and Galvant. And in what seemed to be the span of a month or so, he starred with Amy Poehler and Carol Burnett in the pilot Household, bought his dream house in the hills, went to Florida to promote a movie, and at 47 years old, had a massive stroke in the bathroom of the Tampa airport. How do you pull yourself up from that? Well, I'm going to let my dear friend, Timothy Amundsen, tell you. Here's Tim. Oh, you're drinking some LaCroix? A little LaCroix? I added a little vodka to my LaCroix. I got it, honey. You what? You added a little vodka to your LaCroix? Yeah, I, had my, I, I, I like my LaCroix with a little bit of vodka. Why not? I would pick it with a little gin. I like it. I like it. So, everybody, today I am so excited this episode. I have one of my dearest friends who is just one of my most favorite people in the world. For me, that's saying a lot because I don't like many people, but this, <laughs> but this guy uh, I adore. His name is Timothy Amundsen. Hi, Tim. Hi, Alicia. So happy you're on, on this episode of Bootstrap Bitch. Happy to be here. Because you are an OG bootstrap bitch. <laughs> that makes me uh, very proud and a little acclaimed. Yeah, exactly. It should. It, it should bring a little, you know, just a little tear to the eye. So, Timmy, you, I'm going to just go through your, like, illustrious career. You were born in Missouri? I was, indeed. And Most then, of my parents tell me. Correct. Okay. So, you don't have any memory of that? I don't. And then you moved to Washington. Then correct. I moved to Seattle, or actually That's Bellevue, Washington, which is just outside of Seattle. Correct. As a young boy, you knew that you wanted to be an actor. Like at 12, you were in the children's theater group. Yeah, actually it was um, seventh grade drama classes really where it all kind of, my world opened up. Because I wasn't a good, I wasn't an athlete or a good student and um, didn't really have any talents. And sort of seventh grade drama classes where I realized, oh, this is something I can do. What was it about I, it? 
which is some, I think it's like I got the lead in like my first play and, and just sort of that reinforcement of that's sort of attaboy. And I remember my dad coming, he was, it was doing cheap, cheaper by the dozen playing the Clifton Lab role. I remember my dad talking to me after the, after the play and he had tears in his eyes and he's like, how did you learn how to be so pompous? Because <laughs> the character is very pompous. And yes. It's basically like how my dad say, you know, hey, you did good. I love that. Was your dad, uh, did he watch all of your work? Yeah, he did. He didn't necessarily like all of it, but. <laughs> but he watched it. He was but he, Yeah. And after they passed over, we found, um, as we were cleaning out their house, we found, you know, stacks and stacks of old video cassettes of all my work, which was nice. So. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I was really lucky. He was always really encouraging to me. Did you do anything with those cassettes? Did you like send them into one of those places that can put them on to like an MP3? I think my sister did at one point. I think so that's somewhere, somewhere there's a, um, and of course they were all um, long plays, so the video quality is really bad. Of course, yes, yes, yes. And, and oftentimes, because I found when our pipes burst and um, my, uh, I, I guess I had boxes in here of old, old VHS tapes. And it's so funny, like my grandfather, it would be like what it was, and then he would cross it out and then put it oh, in yeah, what it was and then cross it out because they kept re-recording just over yeah. and over on the, same, on, on the same tape. So clearly we come from similar stock, people who, who frugal with their VHS recordings. Well, with money their, grows it, on trees? Yeah, money does not grow on trees. So you have, to, you, you, have to, you have to tape over the same ones. And then, interesting, you went to USC. Yeah, so uh, to make the, the long story even longer, so sort of halfway through seventh grade drama class, I was like, I want to do a little more. Okay. So I started, I discovered the Seattle Children's Theater and started taking classes there. Okay. And that was about 16. I remember going to my dad one day and saying, I made a decision, I think I'm going to be an actor. Now, you you, have a, now you also did what, two summers or was it your junior year you went to New York? I think it was the summer before my senior year of high school, I went to New York and studied at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So, see, I have very rarely met an actor who knew that, well, that's not true. I think Jennifer Goodwin, who, who knew really, really early on that this is what exactly they wanted to do. Most of the actors I've spoken with kind of fell into it. Oh, no, I was super lucky. I knew like right away that this, is, this was the path I wanted. And like, chat really was able to hit with sort of laser-like focus. And all through the end of high school, I was able to intern at theaters in Seattle and just kind of immerse myself in professional theater. And, just to be around it. And then, then you went to USC. Then I went down to USC, down from Seattle, and got a, got a BFA in theater from, from that school and did tons of theater there. And then almost very rarely got a chance to use anything I learned in theater school. Yes. Because of course, course down here it's all screen work. Right, exactly. And that's also where you met your gorgeous wife, Allison, correct? Uh, no, I met her no? actually in a bar we were both working at. Even better, people who meet in a bar. I love that. So, okay, so out of USC, your resume is quite extensive. You're one of those actors that has the range from A to Z. You have pretty much worked consistently from the time you've started. I was incredibly fortunate in that regards. Yes. I mean, and that, that great resume really took a long time to even get started. It took years to kind of get the first gig. So from USC to first gig, what are we looking at? How many years? I would say four years. No, maybe not that long. It felt like, it felt like 40 years. 
it, it felt. And is that during the time that you met Allison at the bar that you were working in a bar? Yeah. Okay. In fact, so you, when I first met her, she's like, oh, great, another actor. Another actor, because she was an actor as well. Yeah, and then I got my, I think I got my second job, and she was like, oh, this actually might, this guy might actually work. I, so she had her doubts. She wasn't sure yet, Tim. Well, just, I mean, in, you know, <laughs> in, in her defense, it is Hollywood. She met a lot of young actors, or young aspiring actors. Well, listen, I spoke at my daughter's class, and they asked me, what's your best advice for a young actor? And I said, not to marry another one. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> you didn't follow it, though. <laughs> no, I did not. I, I married for love, and I married another creative type. I always say, if you're a creative, marry a professional. Don't have two creatives in the same field. That makes kind of sense. You know, because you kind of never know, because we're reliant on those paychecks. So if you have two people who are reliant on paychecks, it can get a little dicey. I see what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? So I'm telling these, I'm hopefully not squashing their young dreams, but if you really want to be an actor, a tap dancer, a poet, a painter, a musician, marry a hedge fund person, finance lawyer, doctor. So I think financially that makes good advice, but emotionally, yeah. I don't know if that- No, can... I, well, I'm not, I'm not in charge of their emotions. <laughs> they asked me for advice for a young actor. That's what I had to give them. So you, okay. So again, resume unbelievable. You really kind of hit it in psych. Would you say that that was your- Yeah, psych was really was the one where- um... so, Right. So psych and you played Lassiter and psych. And then, of course, you've gone on to do the two spin-off TV shows. Then we met on Jericho. That's, that's how you and I became friends, uh, which was a fantastic group of people, wouldn't you say? One of the best. Yeah, I, I mean, got, you're you know, so I, I got that job because Richard Spade recommended oh, me for it. Oh, is that right? And Rich, I'm in college. Oh, my God, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, because Rich was on it, too, on Jericho. How did he recommend you? Oh, you think he talked to Robbie Thompson and kind of, just started connecting me with the right writers and producers and got me in enough auditions that I could go and they eventually were like, we're going to keep you around. I want to hear about how you got Galvant because it's a very long, twisted, wonderful story. So Galvant was the show that I kind of waited my entire life to get, or the role I waited my entire life to get, playing the singing, dancing king, even though I hadn't really done a musical since high school. Unbelievable. That's called... Stumbling into something. Well, and it's also called, I mean, talk about manifesting. If, 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 if the king was the role that you always wanted to play, a singing, dancing king on the top of a horse with glowing, gorgeous hair and beard, <laughs> you certainly manifested that into happening. So tell the story. You know, after Psych ended, which, was, which went on for eight years, was an incredible experience. I was faced with, now what the hell am I going to do? And I literally wrote down what I wanted. And Galvan came along and it sort of take, it literally checked every box of what I wanted. So that was, um, I'd had a new agent at the time. Oh, speaking of agents, after my massive success in my first job, my agent fired me. Well, well yes. It's like you work for years to get a, to scrape away and finally get a gig. I was with um, one of the super big agencies at the time. Okay. And this was your very first job or psych? After psych, they fired no, th you? No, this was getting... Uh, my sad card job, which was an episode oh, okay. of Seinfeld. Okay. Again, great pedigree for your first for your first gig to be on Seinfeld. About having no idea, having never been on a soundstage before. Fantastic. Because I was a theater major, I had no idea. Right. Again, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. 
place. So I went back. So I did my episode of Seinfeld. Went back to work in Johnny Rockets on my road since selling hamburgers and fries. Not understanding why no one was realizing how famous I, or how important I was. Of course. It's like, I just got my SAG card for God's sakes. <laughs> and nobody gave a sheet. So much so that my agent fired me. Oh my God. It's like, thanks guys. And then um, Psych came along. And after that beautiful show ended, I am um, my new agent. Um, got me in the room with the amazing casting people and beautiful Dan Fogelman and his partner, Jesse for this audition where Psych was sort of, it was a mixture of, we always called it Monty Python meets Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. And I sat down reading the audition with, scenes with Alice and my beautiful wife. And she was like, you're not going to do it like that, are you? Cause he was so over the top. I was like, no, I have to, this is how it has to be. And so I went in just the audition went really, really well. And Dan and Jesse were lovely people and kind of killed in the room. And, um, basically heard that through the powers to be that I was their guy. And, but unfortunately they, ABC had offered the job to um, a massive English movie star. Cause it's, it was the sort of the temple character. Mm-hmm. So they, um, they wanted this big English star to do it. So it took five months for that star to pass. So eventually five I got five, five months, months for him to pass of all the time hearing that, don't worry, you're the guy, you're the guy, you're the guy. Eventually I was able to get into test for the network and the head of the network said, yeah, he's great, but where's my English movie star? So then more months went on and back and forth and I got tested twice for that show. Mm. By the time I actually got the job, I think every person we knew knew that I was up for the job. So was like, this is really going to be embarrassing, but I don't care. So like a few months before, a few weeks even before production started, Dan Fogelman, they still didn't have their old cast. Because then they went to the second movie, British movie star, who said, well, okay, we'll find you off to hypnotize him. He was a singing character role. So the movie star said, well, you're, you're going to have to hypnotize me to sing. So Fogelman finally went to, back to the network and said, can I please have my guy? Lo and behold, I became the guy. Next thing I know, I'm on a plane to England. That- but the, um, the fun fact that where I got kind of the last lap is, because I had no real singing training in those five months, I started taking classes. I could really learn how to sing. Because you knew you just knew in your gut, like, you know, about a yeah. good back dress. You, you knew, you knew that was your role. That's exactly what it was. Cause I knew it was the good black dress. It was a little black dress. And on that show, I was constantly being challenged, like between learning how to sing with, you know, with like Alan Menken wrote the songs. who's yeah. kind of a big deal. So being yeah. in, a, in a recording studio with Alan Menken, and not being able to hit the note and just the flops up starting going, mm-hmm. I'm going to get, are they going to realize I'm a fraud? Mm-hmm. So I had to what? double down on my singing lessons. And so the, I never got to sit, sit back and go, look at this. This is awesome. I am. Well, I made it. But you did. A, and I did not kind of look back at it. And I look back at the time and it was just an incredible experience. I remember you and I sitting at Scott's house and we were sitting in their little living room parlor and we were chatting and you had reached such a pinnacle of success from Galvant to then Household Name with Carol Burnett and Amy Poehler. That was really the feather in the cap. Yeah, that was the feather in the cap. And I believe, um, 
you had put an offer in on a house, you were in escrow, you were, I mean, the, the freaking stars aligned for you in that moment of you hit the trifecta of, of every actor's wet dream. You, you, you're, you're coming off of a, two successful series. You got the role that you were born to play. You are now playing opposite Carol Burnett and Amy Poehler. You are an escrow on a brand new, beautiful house. You're promoting a, a, a great movie in Florida. And what happens in the bathroom in the airport? So I collapsed in a bathroom in, in Florida. I, what had happened with me is I had a dissected carotid artery, which eventually led to a clot. So I, I had a stroke in Florida. Yes, so all that, and now we've decided to have a stroke in the bathroom of a Floridian airport. Because if you're going to go classy, yes. go classy in a, in a Tampa airport. In a Tampa airport, where all, all, things, all things that are important happen. So here we are. We have all of that, and now we are in... We had looked for this house for literally 10 years. We've been saving our money, being really smart with it. I think I was on, I figured I was a series regular for like 14 years. Insane, the run I had. Yes, that was an incredible run. I, it's, I, I've never been fortunate enough to have that. I hope, I hope, it's, I hope one day yes. I will. Yet, I haven't had it yet. Yeah, so we, um, we'd been really smart with our money over the years. Lived below our means, saved our money for the big down payment. Found our, our dream house up in the hills and was in escrow. So I'm after the stroke, I'm in an ICU in Florida. And Allison flies down and some of our best friends come down with us with her. And I'm kind of in these fever dreams, waking up, just dreaming about this house. I don't want to rehab in this pool. You know, while she's having to decide whether or not to pull out of escrow. And I'm waking up saying, don't get rid of the house. Keep the house. And our financial advisor lives in Florida. So he drove out and he was like, don't get the house. Don't, don't get the get house. house. Yes. Because you have, unfortunately, like you, you don't know what's going to happen with your finances. Because they've all been, the apple cart's been so turned upside down. So she's been torn and having to sign papers, like, you know, on her phone, getting stuff emailed to her to sign. So thank God we pulled out of the house and it didn't get financially ruined. Was in the ICU for quite a while. Eventually, Flew back to, got medevaced back to Los Angeles mm -hmm. and was in a rehab hospital in LA where you and your beautiful husband came and fed me in and out burgers and cut them up and fed me like a little baby bird. <laughs> of course, of course. That's what we're here for. I mean, this show's called Bootstraps, but my bootstraps really are my friends. Oh, that's amazing. That no, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, I couldn't have done any of this without the people I have around me. I love that you say that because I remember talking to Allison uh, the first couple of days when we came with the in and out burgers. She was, she was just so devastated. And I remember her telling me, but we saved all this money to buy the house. We saved and saved. And I said, Allison, clearly you saved the money to take care of Tim and yourself now. That's why the money's there. It's not to buy this house. Right not to buy this house it's to take care of tim and the girls that's why the money's there that's why tim has worked all this time yeah. thank god the money's there i remember the part of your skull they put into your tummy yeah right can you explain so, that so when you have a stroke your brain starts to swell which will kill you so they have to relieve the pressure sometimes they'll put a hole in it in my case they did a hemicraniectomy which is they basically took off half my skull and then they save it for later. 
which some hospitals will put in a Ziploc bag and throw it in a freezer. In my case, though, they inserted it into my abdomen. With a, they attach a blood vessel so they keep it viable. So you, once they put it back, your body doesn't reject it. So I had these two the, the cake plates worth of um, skull sticking in my stomach. They would, I'd lean forward and occasionally sort of I can feel them like, oh, this is really uncomfortable. So you had your head in your tummy? Yeah, so I called it my tummy Tupperware. <laughs> your tummy the, Tupperware. And a friend of a friend said, you know, this is actually really close to actually having your head up your ass. <laughs> it's the closest thing. It's the closest thing to having a head. Okay, so that is actually going to be the title of your book, Tummy Tupperware. That, that's it. We've named it right here. You better trademark that. Love it. Um, the, okay, yes. And so that, so they let the swelling go down. And I do remember that because we were there during then. And then I remember when they put it back on. Right. And then I remember it was months of rehab for you. Months. So because it, it was, it affected, the stroke affected the right side of my brain. Okay. Which controls the left side of your body. So my left arm and hand are paralyzed. I was in a wheelchair for a long time. Couldn't walk. Right. So I had to relearn how to walk. Luckily, it didn't affect, and here's the lucky thing. It didn't affect my speech or my memory. That's right. Where some people have their, like their entire lives just wiped out memory-wise. Right. And your left side? It affect, yeah, it affected the vision of my left side. So I have this field break. So I kind of like peripheral vision blindness on my left side. I remember Allison telling me that the doctor asked you when you woke up if you knew who the president was, and your response was, haven't I been through enough? Yeah, haven't I suffered enough? Haven't I suffered Actually, in the airport when they, some paramedics got to me, and they were, you know, they run through the, the checklist of stroke things, so like, can you smile? So can, can you see your... Right. What's your name? What year is it? Who's the president? And my, I initially wanted to crack wise. But I would, had enough, I was still with enough cognitively to think, you're in Florida, these are first responders, they're probably Trump people. You need them on your side. Do not crack wise right now. Don't be a smart ass. You need them on your side. So you still had your decorum. Yeah, I was still. Yeah, you still, yes, yes. So you still had your wits about you to not, to not put yourself in harm's way with what probably were Trump supporters. Um, so to, to go from there, and then it's, it's just... I have seen your journey. I have seen you are up. You went from wheelchair to braces to cane to nothing. You. I mean, there are times now where I can walk without the cane. Yes. Short distances, very short distances. Are there new milestones I'm trying to hit every day? So, what's a new milestone that you want to hit? I want to hit a mile within a day. How far away? How far away are you? I'm still pretty far. Are you okay? It'll be a trip. Actually, I did. Um, so at first, I hit a quarter of a mile, and I want. Half a mile in. So when I hit half a mile, I wanted a mile. I'm not actually, no, I'm not that far from it. So I passed. Then one day I looked at my, my phone, which, you know, it has a pedometer on it. Right, sure. I realized I'd gone 1.6 miles. Oh my God, without a cane. That was, no, that was with a cane throughout the day. Okay. So now sort of in one stretch, I want to hit like one stretch on the treadmill or around a track or in the neighborhood or something like that it'll be no time before you're going to be back on a horse again. The way that you've been healing, the way that you have been flourishing has been nothing short of miraculous and a testament to your fortitude and to your character and your constitution and the love of everybody around you. I'm a blessed man. I really am. A friend of mine from this group of actors, this show I do called Thrilling Adventure Hour, and Patrick Brewster, we were talking one day and she said, you know, when this happened, we were all talking. And one of them said, I can't remember who said it. It's like, if I have a native, I think I'd happen to Timmy. 
It's like, why? She goes, because you're Jim D. Cricket singing and dancing motherfucker. It's true. Just said, I want that on my gravestone. A Jimmy Cricket singing and dancing motherfucker, which is why my Twitter profile it, picture is Jimmy Cricket. So really to try and keep that spirit as much as I can of continuing to work forward. That's right. Because I never once ever heard you, you know, uh, never once heard you say, why me? I never, that never came out of your mouth. I mean, actually, I'd try and say, why not me? Well, sure. Well, right. And Allison and I have had this conversation, conversation a lot. Well, she was so devastated by what happened to us because we, like, it wasn't just the rug was pulled out, the floor disappeared. Uh, absolutely. There's yeah. so many people who have it so much worse than I do. Correct. Correct. That's why I'm, you know, I'm, I, I wanted to develop or conceptualize this podcast because I'm just very interested in people's stories and how they overcome and how you wake up every morning and say, why not me? And how you find the gratitude and how you look at yourself and say, you know, this is going on with me right now. You look at your neighbor and you have to be grateful for the things that you have. Because absolutely. absolutely it could be so much worse. Your story is so inspirational and aspirational because you didn't curl up into a ball. And your wife, the beautiful Allison, didn't curl up into a ball. And your children did not. They flourished. You went back to work, which is so fascinating. Full circle with Dan Fogelman. So again, this is coming back to with the support of my friends. Yeah. So as I was recovering and learning how to sort of walk and move again, Dan was getting updates from our friends, Kat and John, who are producers on Gallivant. And Chris Koch, one of our other producers. And so they, I would see these guys at back and you could have dinner parties. We'd go to our friend Karen Davids. And remember the first time I was there in a wheelchair and they had to lift me, they had a new house and they had to lift me over the threshold in the wheelchair to get into the house to look at it. And Chris and I were talking. He was one of the directors on This Is Us. And he said, yeah, we could, maybe we could have you on the show one day as you get better. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe I could be a guy in the office in a wheelchair having no idea, but never really expecting it to happen. And then at my 50th birthday, I was able to get up and give the speech and Chris was there and John and Kat were there. And I gave the speech after like five old fashions that. Yeah, I was there. I remember. That was great. Yeah. And I think Chris said to me, if you can give that speech, now you're ready to go back to work. So he called Dan and Dan and I started texting and Dan said, send me this text, which I'll never forget. And he's like, Think about riding a guy deep in recovery from the stroke. And just the blessing of this guy saying, yeah, we can, we'll give you a shot. So that first time we out, so they hired me for this job. They wrote this role of Gregory, Chrissy Metz neighbor, who's suffering from a stroke. And, and Alice and I were driving to work because I can't drive anymore. So Alice has now become like not my de facto assistant in many ways. So she's driving me to work. We were a little bit early driving to the Paramount lot, which is one of my favorite lots in the city. Oh my God, me too. I think it's so pretty. Well, that's all. It's, it's, it is old Hollywood. Yeah. So we're a little bit early. And she pulls the car over and she's like, a year ago, you almost died. Or maybe it was two years ago at the time. You almost died. And now we're driving to the set of the number one show on TV. So really, I just like stop and take stock in that moment the best piece of advice I ever gotten in this journey is 
I was for a long time. I was in a recovery clinic, which I still go to every day. And there was a guy there who had also, also suffered a traumatic brain injury. And he, um, there's this very sort of gruff, um, how would you describe him? Um, he's just this man of the earth. He was a, um, he's like a farmer who was not used to being in, in a position of needing help with things. And one day he got up and gave a speech to kind of some of the new guys. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, honor the milestones, which I really took to heart and I've tried to do that. So I have a, um, on my phone, I have a, a recovery file of photos from, so I can just remind myself where I've come from. Mm-hmm. Like videos of me, early, in the early days of me learning how to walk with this massive leg brace that started at my hip. So I can look back at, and I've got videos from that my friends had sent me and me that I would send back where my speech was not as, that great. So I just keep, really just every day, I just try and go, what can I do today? That's right. What's, what's the next milestone I can hit? Your three years and change. Yeah, it was April 29th was yeah, my stroke. Yeah. And look at the milestones. I mean, that album must be like a roll of toilet paper because of all the milestones that you've hit. And sometimes it's hard to see when you're in it that time. Like, I mean, you know, with your recovery from your knee. Oh, please. That's nothing. But yeah. No, but still, but recovering from anything, when you're in it, you don't always yeah. see the progress you're making. Well, I, I, I actually, you know, with my knee, it's, and, and it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing because my knee has been such an issue for so many years, like the past three years, um, mostly, but all I wanted to do was walk. And then all I wanted to do was be able to wear high heels, like, like just stupid, silly things. But when you do that stupid, silly thing, it really kind of spurs you on and I'm sure that you can relate to this, it's kind of helped my work as an actress because in a strange way, I feel like if I can run if chased, then there's nothing I can't do that would be asked for me as an actress. Totally. It's, it's taken all the fear out and the, ju- and the fear of judgment and the fear of am I good enough, am I enough to guess what? I am enough, bum knee and all. I think for me, it's not, that hasn't quite turned with my acting yet because acting is now so much more difficult for me because of the cognitive issues and because of the, I liken it to um, walking, I'd say, in a suit of armor. But now with my vision, it's also with the suit of armor with the visor down. Where I used to be able to walk on a set and I had this kind of uncanny sense where I could, I didn't have a photographic memory, but I could memorize my lines after highlighting them once. They were in my head. Right. And I could look at the cameras and I knew every angle. I was really savvy where a camera was. And now because my vision's off, that's not there. Even just having a conversation is really difficult. I can tell you this, Tim. I have watched your work since we met on Jericho. I have watched you in Psych. I've watched you on Jericho. I I loved Galvant. I've watched This Is Us. And I can tell you, I think your work is deeper and richer and when you come on camera, you exude this warmth and this beauty. Thank you, my friend. So maybe you think it's not all there, but for me, you've never been more handsome. God bless you, sweetheart. Because <laughs> part of it is so much conveying, or what we do is conveying emotion to the camera with our face. Yes. Because I feel like my face is still a little masked. I mean, I, I, 
I do know this. Every episode of This Us, I would every time I was on set, the work would get a little bit better. Of course it would, because you're telling your story. You're telling your truth. So somebody else is writing it, but it's coming out of your mouth, and your mouth is the authentic mouth for those words to come out of. So you're That was the incredible gift Dan gave me, was just an, out, an outlet to um, say these words and these emotions. And because he and I are close enough friends, we used to improvise a lot on the Galvan set. He had times sort of would give me a carte blanche to kind of say it as I would really want to say it here and there. And obviously the words are those, that amazing writer stuff. And on This Is Us, uh, do you collaborate? We did a little bit. Yeah, there were um, certainly moments. There's a, a moment we have, there's a scene where I'm feeding a kid a, an avocado and I'm talking about um, empathy. And because Chrissy Metz and I are not, my next friend, Amy and I are not, not getting along. And I get to have this conversation with her about how after a brain injury, you can't, it's difficult to express empathy, which is really actually a true thing with the right side of brain injury. And empathy, of course, is one of the most important tools in Africa now. Yeah, so I was able to get that out and kind of share that with the world. Which I thought was so important for people who, who go, because I didn't know anybody who'd gone through this when I had my stroke. So to see people, to be able to stand up and represent is has become a very important thing to me. Just to you know recap, you're at the pinnacle of success. You have a stroke. You go through a long recovery. You are reunited with the person who gave you your dream job. And you are now given a platform to bring awareness to other people who've had strokes, brain injuries. My father, my God, my father would have loved you. Um, uh, you're bringing awareness now. I think you're at the pinnacle again because of what you're doing with this platform that you have and how you're helping people. You've just invited everybody in. I mean, and not to get too spiritual about it, but maybe that's why I, got, I was left around. When I was in Tampa, my, um, my amazing brain surgeon, Juan Valdivia. Shout out to Juan Valdiv Valdivia. Shout out to Juan Valdivia. So Dr. Juan and I, he actually came to LA a few months ago and I was able to have, able to have dinner with him. Oh my God. So that's pretty amazing. You'd have dinner with the guy who saved your life. Who was in your brain. Who was literally in my brain. He was in your brain. Yes. So he, so he will, one time he comes, comes into my room and remember every day he would squeeze my left foot, my left toes to see if I could feel it. And I could never feel it or squeeze my hand and I couldn't feel it. So one day they wheel me into a different room with him and he shows me a, a copy of my CAT scan. And the left side is, or I guess looking at it would be the right side was, was all just dark shadow. I remember thinking, wow, it is really, really is gray matter. So the right side of my brain was totally a dark shadow. And he said, this is where you had your stroke. It was massive. It was massive. Most people would not survive a stroke this large. I remember sort of that kind of rushing over me going, wow, what do you do with that? Well, I think that you figured it out, haven't you? Well, I'm trying to. I mean, it's still a work in progress. It's all a work in progress. But uh, for me... What, what I've learned from you and what I've taken away from this. I can say I pretty much think I've seen you at your worst. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think I have. We know each other, um, we know each other pretty well. Yeah, yes, yes, we do. We know each other very well. I can say that um, you're the epitome of grace. Thank you, honey. I would just like for you to just leave my listeners with, with, with words from Tim. Words from, words from Jiminy Cricket, Dancing Jiminy Cricket, what would you say to people 
who are just who are going through it. No pressure. No pressure. Um, <laughs> no the pressure. profound words from Tim. Um, what else are you can do? Sit in a corner and cry? It's not going to get you anywhere. That was really what I said to myself when I when it all first happens. Like sitting in the corner having a pity party isn't going to do me any good. It's not going to get me walking. So I got to get the hell up off this floor. And really, the the phrase that just kept running running over my head is from Shawshank: "Of either get busy living or get busy dying." That kind of brings tears to my eyes a little bit. My childhood friend's 49th birthday, and that's was his get busy living or get busy dying. And he died on his 49th birthday. No way. Jeez. He died the night of his party. That is um, intense, my friend. He was actually the, the younger brother of my friend. And you get busy living or you get busy dying. And you got busy living. Again, I don't have it. I'm two small girls. A therapist of mine, my, one of my first physical therapists, so was, I was having an off day or something. Maybe I didn't want to do the work. She was like, you got two daughters, right? You got dancing at weddings to do. That's right. And, and to pay for. And to so, pay for. So maybe even more important, get back to work, Tim. You got to get back on that horse. You got to get back on that horse. You know, one of the interesting things about this, that's all I find interesting to me. So like you were saying how it, you felt it make your, made your work a little braver in a way. Yeah, I don't know what it's done to my work, but I know one thing is I've become much less um, concerned about the outward appearance. Say that again. I've been much more concerned about my outward appearance. We work in in an industry where it's all about looks and your physical attributes, and I could give a shit now. I think it drives Austin a little crazy that I let my beard go a little hobo chic. I like the hobo chic. Thank you. It gets a little grizzly abs at times, and she'll come at with come at me with this year as well, honestly. It's not entirely true. That's okay. It, but, but it's still very gallivant. We, we have to keep some of the gallivant. Still have a little bit of the twist of the mustache. Yes, you do. Yeah. You, oh, but, but that's you, Tim. That exactly is you. You always, stroke and all, you always had the twist of the mustache. <laughs> May you never, ever lose the twist of the mustache, the mischief in your eye, the, the Jiminy Cricket dancing, May you always be you, because you are my favorite. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for being on Bootstrap Bitch. I'm so grateful for you in my life, you and Anthony. Uh, Thank you for asking me to to do this, and I hope um, it um, helped some people listening.